it's Open Threads. I'm Brian Castle. This is my pod. Welcome to it. So I've got my buddy Matt Maderos back on the show today. We're going to continue our conversation because Matt, in his everyday job, is the executive producer of Castos. That's a podcast hosting company. And in Matt's role there, he kind of does a lot of things over there. But what he's really known for and, and his real deep expertise is podcast production. And he's sort of like the executive producer of all the content that comes out, out of Castos. Of course, he's got his own podcast, too. We talked all about that on an episode just a few episodes back in this feed. Hey, before I roll today's episode, here's my real-time update on what I'm working on. I'm recording this update on March 8th, 2024. Well, if you've been following my story heading into this year, then you know I'm in a transition phase. I'm exploring some new directions to take in my business. And this month, I decided to come back to my roots and focus my energy on what I do best, and that's building new products. So I've launched what I'm calling a product studio, and I'm calling it Instrumental Products. It's where I get to partner with fellow founders, creators, and SaaS companies on taking new product ideas from concept to launched. And, you know, since I'm a full-stack designer and developer, my focus now is on continuously building new software products and continuing to grow that muscle. Sometimes I'm building products with clients, sometimes with partners, and building some new products of my own to grow out my portfolio at Instrumental Products. And as always, I love to build in public on my YouTube channel and on Twitter and you know, share the process of taking new product ideas to life. So that's what I'm up to, building products in public. And I'm still running my SaaS product, Clarity Flow, which is doing its thing this year. All right, so that's my update. You can follow along with me on Twitter. I'm at CastJam. I'd love to hear from you if you have any feedback for anything I'm working on, especially this show on the podcast. And with that, let's get into today's show. But I wanted to get into it here with Matt about podcast production workflows, working with guests, managing hosts of podcasts that you're not personally the host of. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting kind of behind the scenes work that goes into producing, you know, really high quality professional podcasts. And I wanted to sort of uh, maybe up my game a little bit and pick Matt's brain about that kind of stuff because he's been at it for a while. Let's talk to Matt. Enjoy. All right, so Matt Medeiros, we're back for another segment here. We're going to continue talking about podcasting and just, I guess you'd call it like media content production in general. I think you've got this spectrum of content that like, especially what we see in our industry, whether it's WordPress or software startups, we're all tuned into podcasts and that makes a lot of us amateur podcasters as well, right? Unlike other industries, I don't think other industries are podcasting nonstop about what they're working on, but <laughs> us web people no. like we can't help it but but speak into the internet right so we've got a lot of these amateurs like myself who will buy a fancy microphone and hit record and maybe hack our way through editing or maybe hire an editor but how can we like up our game in terms of production and also like streamlining that's what i want to try to understand in this conversation here because what i'm trying to do right now with this new show is i want to keep the level of quality high I want to have really good conversations, but I cannot spend all my time doing this. I just want to 
hop on a call like this three times a month and hand off the rest to my editor, producer, and just have it published. Like that's sort of the goal. And I feel like I'm figuring that out again for like the 10th time around. I never quite yeah. cracked it. <laughs> You've been doing this for many years. Like what are some like low hanging fruit, like processes or workflows that have just saved you a ton of time and like really started to click in terms of your workflow? Sure. So to correct your label, you call yourself an amateur, but you've been doing it probably just as long as I have because the first podcast I was ever on was your podcast with Dave way back in the day. Oh, wow. And that's where Bootstrap Web started off, right? That was the name of it, if I recall correctly, no, right? Isn't that it was with Dave Yankoviak. This was back in 2010. It must have been around then. Freelance Jam? Was that what that was called? Oh, it might have been. That might yeah, have so that was a set, that Bootstrap Web. Bootstrap Web started a couple years later, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, that was a lot of fun. So you're much more advanced than, uh, although you might feel like an amateur, I see people who are just starting out. They are amateurs. Nothing wrong with that. So number one, it's just like, where the heck are you going to go with this podcast? A lot of people, it's so cliche to talk about goal setting and like striving for that goal and having stuff written down. But let me tell you, once you get through the first 10 episodes of your podcast, that's where you begin to hate it. <laughs> so if you don't have a North Star anymore, that's when it becomes really difficult. And that's when you start flip-flopping all over the place. And what I learned early on is try to marry that goal, especially if you're a busy person, try to marry that goal with a season or a story arc and something that you can just put a little end chapter in. Yeah. Take a breather. Take a breather. hundred percent. That's what I do. That's what we do with our three Eclipse podcast. It's eight episodes. Take a month break. Another season starts. Different story arc, et cetera. That just gives you so much time to just take a break and just reassess if things are working. And if they're not working, you get to recharge and maybe take it down a different path. Setting that, critically thinking about like the premise of your show, who am I, why am I doing this and who am I addressing with this content? And if you're really into editing or not, it doesn't really matter, but really think critically about maybe two topics because if it's just an open-ended conversation, that's where the wheels eventually start to fall off. It might not happen in every episode, but you'll eventually get a guess where it falls off. And, and let me zoom out and frame how I approach that. So another key thing to my workflow is the pre-interview. So especially if I don't know the person who I'm talking to, 99.9% .9 of the time, the person who's on my shows, I'm reaching out to. Very rarely do I ever allow anyone who pitches me because the pitches are all terrible. Yeah. Totally. So I'll hit somebody with, hey, I'd love to chat with you about this topic I saw you talking about on Twitter. Is that interesting to you? They say yes, or they'd like to learn more. No problem. Here's my savvy cal. It's just a 15-minute chat, and I'm just going to give you like a brief technical overview. This is what it's like to be on a podcast. This is what I need from you. And then give me one or two things that you're amazing at talking about. So you have this at the call as... This is not recorded. This is pre-interview. This is not recorded. I just want to talk to you and I want to hear from you. Only the one or two, mainly one thing that you're really great at talking about. Like if you had a room full of people, what's the one thing? Because that's ultimately going to be the best thing you're going to get out of somebody. If you start talking to somebody who's like a developer, which I fall into that too, interviewing people about WordPress, they're developers. They don't tell me about your marketing. Well, they're terrible at marketing. Like the conversation is just terrible about marketing. So I try to get that one thing that somebody's awesome. That's a really good point. About. So with this show, I'm using my tool ZipMessage to do that 
pre-interview basically asynchronously. Because I completely agree. The value of a pre-interview, some plan, like a game plan in terms of what the topics are going to be is so valuable. Because I've been a guest on so many podcasts where I show up for the podcast and they don't even know like what I do. Like they're just asking me a list of 10 questions that they ask the same questions to every guest. So I really love the value of the pre-interview. But again, I can't spend like an extra hour or a half hour <laughs> in addition to the actual recording because I have a business to run. So I'm using ZipMessage to like async that into a more efficient workflow. But I like what you're saying. I think where I'm falling short on that is I do go to guests currently with like two topic ideas that I think are really interesting, but I should open it up more to say like, what's something that you really want to talk about, especially something that you haven't talked about elsewhere? Because there's probably stuff I wouldn't even know that they could talk about. Yeah, because like me, if you were just love being on podcasts and you had came to me and you're like, hey man, you want to do a podcast about your favorite apple pie recipe? I'd be like, sure. <laughs> just get me on your show. I'll talk about it. And I don't know anything about like baking or making a great apple pie. I'm still going to do it though, so I could have some airtime. I do want to hit that one or two thing that they're great at and then ask them a few things about what's going to make it work for them, make them feel comfortable. What are you going to get out of this? What do you want to get out of this? Is there something you really want to promote? Because that's just a great way to just build rapport and find things that work. And then you hit them. It's also an important time to be like, yep, the best way to hear them, you interview them really quick. And then you get a chance to say, hey, and don't forget when I do send this live, it's usually two weeks after we record. Don't forget to share it. Get a little bit of that love back because sharing the episode from your guest, although it sounds super obvious as somebody who's been doing it for 10 years and you see people who don't share it, you're just like, oh God, I just spent all that time and you don't even share it. Yeah. It's like they're getting even more invested in the process. They're doing the pre- They're getting more invested in the process. Yeah. And there's ways that you can automate all that stuff to happen afterwards. So that's just like a huge opportunity. Yeah. I mean, like on that point about sharing, like I've been a guest on many shows and I do try to at least tweet when I've been a guest on somewhere. The ones where I really look forward to sharing when I came on to talk about something that I never get a chance to talk about elsewhere. We covered something that I've never talked publicly about because that person cared enough to ask me about that stuff or find some thread that might be interesting. So that's what's more exciting for a guest to go out and tell their audience about, I think. Yeah, that's how I make sure that an interview doesn't go off the rails. That's how I streamline that is you just in front load invest that 15 minutes of time. The other way I streamline the mental weight of a podcast is Savvy Cal allows you to have limits based on bookings per link. So what I do is I set three maximum pre-interviews per week and one maximum interview per week for a given podcast. One, because I don't have time to do all of these podcasts, but two, you know how it is. If you start recording a whole bunch of, some people are really good at this, I'm not. So this might be you, dear listener, or you might be really good at this, but I'm not good at taking a day and recording eight episodes. No way. Because I just fall flat. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, you know, this is my I one interview today. Like the rest of my day is shot at this point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I set that up in Savvy Cal to just like streamline that work. And again, to your point, zip message, I use that all the time for feedback. And I actually have, it's cr- crazy to say, like I have another show idea, which I'm not willing to talk about, like the format of it. But zip message is going to be a huge component of it because look, you could just say, yeah. I don't have the time, like my brother, he can't, he's going to kill me if he hears this, but he does a podcast about finance and investment and stuff like that. And he started a podcast and he's like, I hate this. 
It's just so much work. It's so much energy. And then the people show up and they're not good at interviews. <laughs> it's like, how have you been doing this for 10 years? And you could use a tool exit message and just get a bunch of feed, get a bunch of answers recorded. And then you just edit it together with you just saying the question. So if like, if you don't even want to talk to people, you could do that. So I have been totally experimenting with that, with using zip message for podcasting. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. I actually started doing this last year. I had about four or five guests where we were recording the entire interview asynchronously using zip message. I did one with like Chris Lemma, one with Derek from Savvy Cal, one with AD Pinar. And it was cool because I could send them a zip message. They send something back. They share their screen. They showed me a tour of their workspace. You get all this cool footage. But the challenge that I had with that format asynchronously for a podcast is that for me, it comes back to the time investment because it's not just like one hour, we get it all recorded. It ended up being an entire week project of every single day, me or AD are going back and forth like once or twice with a message to get the whole thing finished before Friday. Yeah. So that was sort of challenging and it didn't really go much past like the four conversations that I had that way for the podcast. But now with this show, I'm using zip message one for that pre-interview, like we talked about to sort of plan. But then the other thing is I have the same three questions that I'm asking everyone, like rapid fire questions. Give me one favorite podcast, one favorite book, and one favorite music artist or album. And I'm having them respond to those asynchronously through zip message. And then I'm going to compile those into like one episode of five favorite books from five different people. And I actually like that a little bit better because first of all, our conversation here is better to have live because we're just talking through this thing. But those rapid fire questions, like I've been asked rapid fires as a guest on other shows and I'm never ready for them. Like I never have a rapid fire answer that's ready to go. So it's always a terrible answer. And I think it's cool. Just the whole value of async in general, it gives you space to think about it and prepare. And then it's just a single question and answer so we can edit it into the show. Yeah, I think if you are like where I think zip message or asynchronous recording really shines would be if you're doing a narrated podcast. If you think about, I don't know, you think again, we go back what we talked about in segment one, we talk about like local news. If you'd imagine, I don't know, some big event happens at the power plant and the reporter goes down there and she interviews a bunch of people that's, did you see the explosion? They all start giving her feedback. She's got her field recorder. She's recording everybody. And then she goes back to the office and then she edits that and pairs it all down to a two minute radio segment. That's where something like a zip message affords you that flexibility to, hey, I'm going to send this out to a dozen people. You get all that B-roll or field footage or field recording, my producer probably kill me what the proper term is. And then you just have that in front of you and you get to pick the best moments of it and then pare it all down. Yeah, you're definitely going to take a lot more time, not as much time having 12 individual phone calls. That's for sure. So your editing time will still be probably lengthy, but your time spent interviewing folks way faster, way easier. Yeah, I love it. So in the previous segment, you talked a little bit about being an executive producer yourself on the Three Clips show, and you've been producing these shows for Castos and, of course, your own shows. Everyone hears the term executive producer. They hear it on television and on radio and on podcasts. Like, What does that actually mean? What does it look like? What is the value that an executive producer brings to a show? Yeah. In my case, I don't know what value I bring, but I'm the money guy, so I make sure that the money that Craig's invested in original series is on track, on budget, and making sure that we're just not spinning our wheels, wasting too much time. Luckily, 
everyone that works for the Three Clips podcast team, they're veteran podcasters. They know that they shouldn't be wasting time. But there have been a few moments where we've had other producers working on the show, for example, who are like, hey, I'm going to make some original music for this transition for this one episode. And I'll be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're not going to do that because we're not wasting time or money for something like this. We're not going to win awards for this show, although I'd love to. So there's things like that. Like watch the money side of things. And then making sure that it's content that we're creating that I think resonates with Castos as a brand, making sure that's on point and making sure that everyone's happy, the process is working well. But otherwise, I'm not stepping in and saying, oh, you should talk to this person or you should talk to that person. I saw this great podcast over here. You should really go pull three clips from that. Like I don't get involved in that. Okay. So I was thinking of it more like that. The way you're describing it, it's really more of like a project manager role, like making sure it's all coming together. Yeah. And even that, like the producer, the producer really almost like the lead project manager to a degree. I just got to make sure that we're not going off the rails, like a real high level. I guess that's the difference between like an executive producer and a single shows producer where that person, like the director, if you will, would be like piecing together a story, finding the right angle, that thing. Yeah. So I was in charge of finding the next host after Jay left. And we have this idea that we might switch hosts, but then we also might have Evo stay on as like the storyteller. So you think of like the narrator almost of the entire podcast. So if we do move in that direction, it's interviewing a new host and seeing how that person reacts. And a little bit of marketing too. It's seeing what happened with that show or who they interviewed and being like, wow, this is a great guest. This is something that we can actually use for marketing for Castos proper, right? This is a producer from Vox Media or some other big outlet. This is something we should use in our sales material. So it's connecting the dots across the brand. Very cool. How about other things that like the glue that puts it all together, right? If you think about I mean, in your experience, you're talking about like a company funded, real professional like production studio. But I guess I'm thinking about more like folks like me and others who are, they want to start a podcast, maybe on the side of their main business, but they want it to be good. They want to keep that quality level high. They want to keep it efficient. I would almost never recommend people edit their own podcast unless they really, really want to. But that is just such a time suck. So I do always try to hand it off to an audio editor to get that. You could do the same thing with the publishing of the show notes and publishing the episode and all that stuff. How does it all piece together for you? Maybe like in your personal shows too, like Matt Report and all that other stuff. How do you go from recording the show to handing off the files and making sure that it still, you keep that, that quality level high and everything? Yeah. So I still edit Matt Report, the WP Minute myself, and there's just a few ways that I do go about it. So yes, it's time consuming. Is there a streamlined way? Because even this show, like we're just recording the very first episodes right now. We haven't even figured out our editing process yet. I'm starting to think about like, I wonder if even newer tools like Descript, can we pop these files in there and even streamline the editing process? Is that possible yet? Yes, that's the tool that I was going to lead with. So Descript is one that I use a lot. I use it on Report, and we use it for audiograms for three clips and the audience podcast that I record. But number one, Castles Productions, if you're looking to outsource all this stuff, you say, hey, I got some cash and I just want to outsource it to somebody. You knock on our door, it starts at 75 bucks per episode for basic editing. And if you just want to offload it, Castles Productions, great way to go. And by the way, Cast does all the editing for my other show, Bootstrapped Web, and they have since day one. So it's been awesome. But for me, for Matt Report, I do use Descript and it's a little bit of, I've been doing it for so long, I know what I have to edit. And I will actually keep, if I'm recording with somebody and I'm interviewing them, I use an app called Simple Note, 
and I will literally write down anything that I think was just a really bad segment or piece. And I'll just note the time. Like literally, it's as simple as that. Write it down. doesn't have to be an app. Just say like these moments were rough and just leave yourself a little mental note. Hey, real quick. This podcast is sponsored by Instrumental Products. That's my product studio where I and my small crew, we take new product ideas from concept to launched. I'm a full stack product designer and developer, and I love collaborating with fellow founders, creators, and SaaS companies to bring that spark of energy into new product ideas. Think of instrumental products as your shortcut to shipping that next idea and getting it into the hands of your customers as efficiently as possible. Got something to ship? Let's talk. Visit instrumentalproducts.com to learn more. So I'm just picturing you on a live recording with someone and you're talking with them and you're just noting down like, this is boring. This is boring. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'll note things like questions I didn't like. Here's what comes up most. Questions I asked I didn't like. And I just like seven minute mark. That was a dumb, like whatever. That was seven minute. And I'll just put like a question mark. I just know like that's going to be an area that I look at. Folks who have really long run on, run on answers. And I have really long run questions sometimes too. I have an idea. This is why like all the prep work is very smart. Like if you're looking to really optimize your time, you have to prep first without going overboard, I guess. But you have to have an idea of who you're talking to, pre-interview, what's that one thing, so that when you get on that call, you know what you're going to ask. If it's super open-ended, then that's where it becomes a real challenge to produce a great show. But then sometimes they say something, you're like, wow, where was that? Let's explore that. And that's what you would need to pay attention to. And with Descript, I already know the mannerisms. Everyone has a mannerism or a tick that they do. And if somebody gives me an amazing answer, I'll usually go, yeah, wow, that's great. And I'll say that like 15 times throughout the show. And in Descript, I can visually see me front loading a question and just like giving like this wrap up answer to the answer that the guest just gave me. And I like give my little two cents because I'm just kind of building rapport with the person. And in Descript, I can just say, yep, delete that. Cut it all out. Yep. Yeah. So I just literally scan the whole thing. I remove the filler words that Descript automatically does for you. So that's a huge time saving. And then I just go through and I just chop all the big paragraphs of me talking and I just drill it down to the question. And so the cool thing for those who don't know with Descript is you're literally editing text. You're taking the transcript of the audio and you're not editing it. What a traditional audio editor would do is like editing the waveforms. You're literally going word by word in the transcript and you can edit it like a text document. See, what I'm wondering is, is it good enough yet to actually edit a podcast that way? Yeah. So there's some bells and whistles in there. So for example, two things one would have to be aware of. Number one, the filler word thing sounds amazing and it is amazing. But the challenge is if you just remove all the filler words that they're looking for, then it becomes way too choppy. So if you have too many words that you use, then it almost sounds like too robotic. They've actually improved it considerably from when they first released this stuff. So I only scan for things that I know I say a lot, like I mean, like. Oh, so you can... You can identify which word. Oh, wow. Oh, that's cool. I thought it just randomly finds like ums and stuff like that. Yes. You can check off like which word you want it to find. And I just clean up those choice words. And then I do listen through at 2x speed as I edit and chop some chunks out. And Descript is great for that. You want to do an intro and an outro? It's good. I do take it a step further because I like to make perfect transitions with like sound. 
not perfect, but I feel like I want to do some stuff that's a little bit more accurate. Descript doesn't do multi-track that well yet. So I export it into a program called Hindenburg. This is equates to something like a GarageBand, an Audacity, Adobe Audition. And then I just do the final, like I do the cold open at the beginning. So I find a great clip from the show, 30 seconds, put it at the front, do my ad for who sponsors the show, music bed. I do a one minute monologue into the show and then the rest of the meat of the show plays. So I do the final edits in Hindenburg. You could use something like Audacity, but Hindenburg is really easy to use and also powerful. It's a nice balance. Super cool. So again, like right now, we haven't even started doing any post-production on these first episodes yet. We will start this in March. I'm actually working with a writer and she's been writing some fantastic articles and stuff for Zip Message. And the plan is to have her do the editing for this show. And she's not traditionally a podcast editor. I'm wondering, because my thought is we could use a tool like Descript because it's literally like editing text and we'll figure out the kinks and dial in the getting rid of the unwanted words and stuff like that. But I'm wondering if that's where the future of podcast post-production is going. It might be a little unfortunate for the audio editor, the freelance audio editors out there. There's a lot of them, but with tools like this, like because it's nice to have the podcast editing task go hand in hand with the writing task that would go along with whether it's writing the show notes or spinning off a whole article idea based on what was said. If the same person is able to edit the podcast using something like Descript and then also write articles or write social media posts for it, that seems like a pretty efficient way. Yeah. I mean, a few points on that. So it's going to turn into like a Descript show, but (laughs) (laughs) one of the things that you would find really enjoyable working with somebody who's not a podcast editor primarily is the collaboration features. So just like you can comment on a Google Doc, you can comment and have a conversation inside a Descript Doc. Like what I do with some of my team on the Three Clips podcast, they make the audiograms in Descript. So they'll just comment and say, hey, Matt, what do you think about this clip right here? So all they have to do is select the paragraph of text and tag me (laughs) and just say, hey, Matt, what do you think about this clip for the audiogram? So like that back and forth is really cool. You can do things with Descript. You can train your voice. And if you said the wrong word, like literally said the wrong word, your editor could type the word in and you would say that word. Yeah. They (laughs) they have like crazy like voice. What do they call that? Like this thing where you can basically you read a script for like 10 minutes and then you can have it say anything as you in the future. It's crazy. Yeah. It's hours. You have to train it for like a few hours to get it like really, really accurate. But they give you like this whole script that you read. So basically, I'm only going to record three episodes of this podcast and the next 50 are going to be like AI. Yeah. Now, the challenge is, is like they have this new feature called studio sound. So I already told you about one of the things where like removing the filler words still isn't perfect. If you say a lot of them, it's no magic bullet. So if you're like, 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 um, um, every other sentence, you just can't fix it. But they have this thing called studio sound and it is supposed to say their marketing term is doesn't matter what kind of microphone you use we'll make it sound like you're in a studio it does not work it doesn't even work with this microphone which is in an untreated room and i'm not using my good mixer which is at my studio it does not do even with this 400 microphone you can tell it's super computerized you sound like a robot and it's just way too much so they're trying these things on the fringes and it sounds all cool but at the end of the day good sound before it goes into the computer is still the most important and the better you are at verbally talking (laughs) 
is going to be better for that stuff. Interesting. Yeah, it's so cool. I've played around with Descript. And by the way, folks at Descript, I'm going to be sending you the invoice for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But yeah, like I can't wait to get in there and just see like what we can do with it from a process standpoint while still getting the quality taken care of. I did want to touch on, you talked about a little bit with audiograms and stuff. So, all right, after the actual episode itself is published or like edited and then published, what's usually happening? In your experience, like what's like making the most impact? I mean, we see the audiograms come across Twitter and stuff. So between that and like email newsletters and having the guests share out that they were on a show, what other sort of like post-publishing things are you looking to do? Yeah, I mean, for the stuff that we do, everything can always get better. And it's everything else you do around the podcast that makes a podcast successful. Again, just the mere fact that you do the podcast doesn't make it a success. You still have to have the chops to at least do the audiograms, the social posting, and the email. And if you can button that up with blog posts that hopefully get some SEO and some inbound keywords, those are the four pillars that your podcasts are going to stand on. For me, look, I'm just super limited in time, right? For like all the side stuff. But for the audience podcast and for three clips, it's exactly that. We run two audiograms every week for a given episode. We send it out to our newsletter. Everyone gets a blog post. And then sometimes I'll double that with like a little mini video on our YouTube channel. So if it's something that's really cool or like really newsworthy, I'll do a video on it. Or vice versa, I'll do a video and turn that into a podcast which then becomes part of the social and the email and the blog post. I was going to ask about the video piece too. I'm still thinking through what my plan is. My plan was to just straight export out this video from Riverside and just put that basically as is up on the YouTube channel. I guess it would have to be like before we edit it together for an audio episode because you're cutting out pieces, right? So you sort of need like the raw footage on, on the video. I mean, what's your take on that? Like should most podcasts release the whole thing as a video or just go for like the most interesting five minute clip or don't even need it. Back to Descript, you can also edit video. (laughs) So (laughs) there's that. Again, the challenge is you can just be careful with Descript. The disclaimer is if you use the filler word removal tool, it will then remove all the filler words in the video. So then you start looking like super choppy, choppy, you know, yeah, on video. So you just have to be wary of that. And you can set up a project in Descript and have like a fresh copy and you're only going to use that in video and then the other copy could just be for the audio and you edit that deeper, whatever. Look, like everything else, it really depends on how much time you want to invest in it. YouTube is phenomenal for a lot of things. Search, number one, brand building, connection, community, right? Interacting in comments. It's an amazing tool or amazing platform, but you just have to put the time in it. At the same time, people want to have a different version of your podcast. So if you're comfortable with that and you're not just looking at YouTube, like I got to make sure I get subscribers, I have to monetize the channel, giving somebody that option to watch the podcast from time to time is a perfect opportunity. Why not do it if you can at least export the video? If you want to go crazy and you want to really edit things together, totally up to you if you have the time. Always Sunny in Philadelphia podcast. I just noticed they were podcasts first time the other last week. They have a podcast and I bounce in between. Sometimes I listen to the audio. Sometimes I'm watching it and your audience might do the same thing. I do the same thing with all sorts of podcasts. Yeah, totally. I mean, Joe Rogan is the one where I only catch his content on YouTube clips, basically. I don't listen to the actual show. I'm actually finding myself lately, like at night, we'll watch Netflix, but then I'm basically spending an hour watching random stuff on YouTube. We don't have cable TV. It's just basically Netflix and then YouTube. And I'm finding a lot of my YouTube watching happens to be like podcast interviews that are publishing to YouTube. It's like the podcast content 
space is now bleeding into a whole separate section of my life. It used to be just when I'm driving or when I'm walking the dog or something or doing the dishes. But now it's literally when I'm actually on the couch, I'm actually consuming certain podcasts because obviously they're high quality, big name interviews and stuff, but they happen to be publishing on YouTube. And that's what breaks it into that space of my life. One of the best purchases I made last year was YouTube Premium. So you get no ads, first and foremost. And it's the only way that you can minimize the app and still play the audio. So you'll be watching and then you just shut your phone and it's still playing. So now you're crisscrossing between what's known as a traditional podcast. You're just listening to the audio and then you're like, oh, I'm opening up my phone again. Boom, I can start watching the video again. And it's just totally seamless. Oh, man. So So that's the power of... (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm actually ready to kill Netflix is what I'm ready to do. Oh, man. This stuff, it goes deeper and it's so widespread. And now it's getting so much more advanced with tools like Descript. We're recording this. I'm just going to like plug all the different products that we're using here. I'm recording this using Riverside. There's other tools like Zencaster and Squadcast that make it pretty easy and seamless to hop on, get good recordings, as long as we don't lose them over the internet, which sometimes happens. If you use Descript, you can publish right to your Castos account as well. Oh, there you go. Solid integration there with Castos. And what I love about Castos, while you're here, might as well plug them too. I've been a Castos customer for many years, both for the editing of Bootstrap Web, but they also host my other podcasts. And I feel like you guys have a lock on the WordPress space. That's been like the big connection. Like if your site is in WordPress, which chances are it is, especially if it's a blog with a podcast, like Castos just plugs right in. Yeah. I mean, that's fantastic for, especially you have a team who's working out of WordPress. We have like an intranet WordPress. We have a lot of corporate clients that use WordPress internally. That's not public available. And still the way that all podcast directories work is the episode link will point right back to your WordPress website. So I don't know if it has any SEO power, but it certainly is a user experience thing where if they wanted to click on the episode, it goes directly back to WordPress site because it's built into your feed. So that's a fantastic thing. Yeah, for sure. Well, Matt, this is great catching up with you as always. I'm going to get all your links. You have a much longer list of links than I do, by the way, now. It's funny how that works. (laughs) But we're going to get all that stuff linked up in the show notes. Uh, Of course, you're Matt Medeiros on Twitter, and you're all over the podcast airways. Anything else people should know what you're working on these days before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, castos.com. You can find me as my day job as Director of Podcaster Success, and all of those other links is at craftedbymatt.com if you want to just see everything I've done ever, except for maybe a handful of jobs that I've had. <laughs> like Circuit City is not on there, but craftedbymat.com is a great place to see everything that I do. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. That does it for today's episode of the Full Stack Founder Podcast. As always, the show notes include links to the YouTube channel for this podcast, where you can catch these full interviews on video, and my YouTube channel. That's where I'm building products in public. See you next week.